Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Bengals tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Gainer Jr., and Jay Morrison of The Athletic with you as always. What's going on, Jay? Hey, doing well, Paul. How are you? Uh, you know, doing good. We're you know, we're we're still we're still in there there's interest. Uh it hasn't it's not I we always joke like the worst team to cover is eight and eight. And we know we don't have that this year. Uh, you want to live on the edges. You want to be really good or really bad. And so there's interest because it's just so bad right now. Uh, it, it, you know, you especially the trade deadline coming up, and until they until they get their first win and the trade deadline passes, I think there's a lot of interesting storylines with this team. Once that happens, however, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean it's it's already kind of like a ghost town in that locker room during the open locker periods there. The guys aren't interested in talking, which is understandable, but you're right. And even if, even if they do like claw their way to average and play five and five, the rest of the way, which is as optimistic as you could be, you're still talking about a five and 11 team. That's, that's pretty bad. So it, that that's, that's on us. We got to find the storylines and to talk about on the pod and to talk about in our articles. And uh, I, I guess I've never, this is my, let's see, what is this, my eighth year on the beat and never covered this end of it. We've covered bad teams, but not really bad, and we've covered playoff teams, so this, this is a new experience. Yeah, this takes me back to 2010, the first year when they had the 10-game losing streak in the middle of the season, um, and that was one. I mean, that was one where their expectations were so high that, the you know, I, they, I think they ended up 4-12. and 12. Um the expectations were so high that four and twelve felt like zero and sixteen on on that team, and it was just totally disastrous. Um, but that wasn't like a good bad end of the spectrum. It just it was so it was so ugly, and the whole Chad and To thing. I, I mean, it was talk about bookending a decade. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. It, I, I have a good way to to get us started here. We've got a lot to get to. We're going to talk uh, about the run game. We're talking a, a little bit uh, about some of the, the Bengals have made a trans, couple transactions. Maybe they make more. Um, Darquez Denard could come back this week. We're going to bring you a little behind the curtain on what some of the things they're saying about that. Carl Lawson, Jay's got stats. 
Um, we, uh, of course, have our offensive brute and run passer boot. But we have two run passer boots this week because I have one that I think is such a good one I wanted to start the episode with it. And so, and I don't know that there's a correct answer. Uh, my my guess would be that if you ask 10 people, you might get, uh, you know, not no two consecutively would be the same. But here we go. Run, pass, or boot, Jay Morrison. Whose fault is this? Front office, coaches, players. Run, pass, or boot? Um, well, obviously, you can't go... You can't put go 100% on one of those entities. Uh, it's got to be divided up. Uh, this is run past your boot, so you gotta you gotta go with one. If I go one, I gotta go front. I gotta run with front office. I mean, we we don't really know what. I, I don't think you know what this coaching staff is after six games. We 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 knew there was going to be struggles. I don't think anyone had expected it to be zero and six, but I, I think you, they still deserve a little time to kind of to work things out. Um, a lot of these players uh, were were parts of certainly better teams, even if they weren't great teams. And then a handful of these players were part or part of playoff teams. So I, I'm gonna I will definitely run with front office. They just did not put this team in position to win. And really, if if you're gonna say the coaches, then that's on the front office too for hiring them. So run with front office. I will I will pass on the players and I'll boot the coaches just because I don't think six weeks is enough time to, to fully evaluate them yet. The thing is, that's is, is that you, it has, you have to be running with the front office really because the front office is responsible for both the coaches and the players, right? (laughs) They're the ones that brought them here. They're the ones that put this whole thing together. And I think particularly this year, it, it just seems that, it has been totally exposed that this roster was not good and, and has been the reason. And as many other things that have been blamed, it is these players that have been collected and thrown together here are just not good enough. I mean, the the symmetry was too hard to ignore, and we talked about it in the walkout a little bit of – Last year they went to Baltimore and they didn't have any linebackers or run defense good enough to stop Lamar Jackson. And they had an offseason to fix it. And the same dudes trotted out there and weren't good enough to stop Lamar Jackson. And it's like, you know, at some at some point, you you, you have to see that it's there's just there's just not enough talent out there. And it's it's all backed up with Drafts that haven't panned out and refusal to get into free agency and, you know, the few trades that have happened have not turned out well. You know, whatever you're talking about here, um, it's all sort of sh- starting to show up. And so to me, that's why I think you have to be running with front office. I'm going to pass coaches. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put more on them because they've. They're the ones calling these plays. They are, you know, Jim Turner is the one that started Michael Jordan um, and that stood on the table for Bobby Hart and all this other stuff that has gone on on this bad offensive line situation. Zach Taylor is the one that hired Jim Turner. Uh, You know, all the defense, I mean, 
whatever we're talking about, it's not working with another epically bad defense. Certainly the players, yes, but obviously partially. We're looking at the we're looking at the third straight defensive coordinator that has not known what to do with these players. It's just like it's just not working, you know. Um, so at a certain point, what, who are we talking about? But I, so I, the players, I'm going to boot because because the, the, the front office is the reason they're here. You know, we we. How much have they? How much have the players underachieved? I don't know. I start to wonder if they're just playing to their level right now. And 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 it and. But again, that's sort of like where we started. Uh, it all blends together, so it's hard to find a right answer. Um, but I think the right answer is that the front office is where this should start. Yeah, and it, going back to what you said about Lamar and not being in position. To, to fix anything after last year. I, I get that he's he's a unique creature at quarterback and but you also have to look at hey he's he's in our division. You 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 know you're going to face him twice a year and he's kind of turning in. We see it with Kyler Murray. I mean this that's the direction the league is going. So it's almost like last year the the Bengals said that that was a fluke and they they don't need to worry about getting better against quarterbacks like that and now we're seeing it again where you know Josh Allen can really run with the ball and and he beat him with his legs and and Kyler Murray did it and 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 Lamar did it again on Sunday it's just it really is staggering how they they've just kind of ignored that linebacker position and and like not just ignore they re-upped I mean they re-signed Preston for a decent amount of money instead of going out and, and trying to get a more modern linebacker. Now we saw Jermaine Pratt. He played more than, than he's played. Uh, he started and, and that I, I think we're going to start seeing that, that turn more. We see more of him and less of Preston, but it's not getting fixed this year with the group they have. I mean, Jermaine Pratt was terrible in coverage. I mean, he, he was the reason that some of those tight ends were just running free wide open with nobody near them. It's just, I mean, and some of that is rookie mistake stuff, but you know, you, again, another third-round linebacker, and, and you—it's <clears throat> too early to, to make uh, definitive calls on him. But it's—you know—that's certainly not pretty either. I, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I don't know what else you can say about this franchise's refusal to, to to invest and fix the linebacker position. I don't know what else you can say about it. They they refuse to invest top picks. They refuse to invest free agent money. They refuse to do any of that stuff. And it's it's fine. I guess I'll hear you if you want to tell me that, oh, okay, well, you don't have to have great linebackers, but then you better have the other things better be great. And their defensive line isn't great, and their secondary is fine uh, at best. And so it, when you have those other things, it exposes your linebackers even further. Um, and, and that's what's been happening the last few years. You know, I, I just I, – I don't understand – it's – there's there's – it's so known. It's been so known about this defense for a number of years. I mean, I go back to when Todd Grantham was in conversations to become the defensive coordinator. One of the things that came out of Florida of his analysis of it was they don't have any linebackers, and he's trying to come up and run a three four. He's like, I'm not going to go up there and take that job and not have a single linebacker to play with. It's this is not a secret, and and it's just and you know the thought of. Preston Brown's gonna lose some weight, and he's just gonna be great. It's, it's just, it's just silly. Uh, meanwhile, you watch 
Quan Alexander and all these other linebackers across the league be such difference makers, literally playing against the Bengals, and it and it, and it just shoves it in your face uh, even further. I don't know what the answer is. At some point, this this team, if they want to dig out of this, is going to have to realize they have screwed this roster up so bad. You have to consider some free agency plugs, and you have to consider spending some money. Will they? I mean, obviously it would go against everything they've done, but at some point you have to realize that it, there's there's not necessarily a ton of other fixes. I'm not asking them to go out there and be the Jets and spend $200 million on free agency. You've got to pick one linebacker and maybe one offensive lineman and just suck it up, pay those guys maybe more than they're worth, because you have to find a way to fix that position, and there's too many holes to think that you're going to fix it with draft picks. Yeah, because they're, they they'll be if they don't do linebackers in free agency, they're going to be right back in the same position, taking one in the third round again, and it just hasn't worked. I mean, you, you figure they that they're going to go quarterback first round probably, uh, and then second round maybe they maybe they wait till free agency to get the offensive lineman, but it would make more sense to to get one of those guys in the second round. Those are your two biggest holes um, outside of linebacker. So there you are again. If, if they don't trade for any extra picks, then you're looking at third round again as, as the earliest you're going to go after a linebacker. It, it seems like th- this is the year they have to, and maybe not even get the guy, but they have to get a, a quality proven linebacker in free agency this year and, and go against, like you said, everything they've done in the past. I mean, really, they need to – they need to make that their mantra pretty much everywhere. Uh, that Every decision along the way is kind of pull the, the George Costanza and do the complete opposite. Of- do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's the move. They, that's what they need to do. They need to totally Costanza as a franchise. Whatever your gut instinct is, just do the opposite. Embrace it. Have a Seinfeld day at the stadium. and get, I mean, that'll, feel, that'll put butts in the seat. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. That's they're gonna have the op. It all turned around. That's the the NFL films. <laughs> it all turned around when they watched one episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> they decided they would take the Costanza approach, and they ended up in the Super Bowl. They're like, "Wait, this is a great show. How come we never heard about this?" And they're just getting into the. I mean, seems like they're kind of behind on every single aspect. So yeah, yeah they just yeah. found out about Seinfeld and hey, let's try that. <laughs> Have you guys heard of this Seinfeld show? <laughs> uh, it's great. Uh, so I want to I want to jump into, and this we spent so much we spent a lot of time talking about things about the linebacker or whatever. Jay's got stats, and the run game on offense. Really, we spent so much time talking about it and, and peppering Zach Taylor with questions about it. Oh, and they're trying to every week. It's oh, we're trying to figure out something. We're trying to figure out some way to do it. And it's like I sort I asked yesterday. I just said, "Isn't it possible that you just can't scheme the run game? At some point, you have to have the players that can win. And obviously, they don't have players that can win up front. I mean." And and he's in sort of hemmed and hawed. It's got to be both, and this, yeah. But we, if you're trying every scheme, and we're six weeks in, I think we can see the common theme here. And I mean, that's what he said. Is that it was really the first time we've heard 
not I don't say it's the first time, but Zach said that he said we've tried a bunch of different schemes, but at the same time it's on the players, and and we heard Lou Anarumo say that some too. It it for for so long it's been it starts with me, it starts with us pointing at the coaches, and now uh, a couple times we we did hear them get in get into not finger pointing but but putting the the onus for this zero and six on the players. Um, Lou talked about that that twenty one yard touchdown run that that uh, Lamar Jackson had their their Ravens first score and and said we had three guys out there three three he repeated it three times that they had three guys out there that were supposed to make that play and, and keep him off from getting outside and, and none of them were able to do it and he just scooted right around all three of those guys I found that kind of interesting where you know I, I don't want to say there's cracks uh, and I don't want to say that the coaches are wrong but it is interesting where they're starting to starting now to put some of this on the players as opposed to doing the finger pointing at themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, at a certain point, you know, it it is the, those are the guys that are out there. And I think saying it's on me and I got to get this figured out is, is all fine and good. Um, But you know, they're, they're, they, they can't go out there and do it. I mean, there's only so many schemes that can be drawn up. There's only so many things you can say or try to motivate like guys have to just be able to go make the plays, and either they can do it or they can't, you know. And it, and and the record tells you what you need to know about that. Um, so how bad is? How, get, get, let's give some historical context uh, to how bad this this offensive run game is, though. Yeah, because I mean we've hammered the the rush defense, but the rush offense. I mean thirty thirty three yards against the Ravens. So the the, the Bengals are now ranked. 32nd in the league in rush offense and 32nd in the league in rush defense. And um, they're averaging 56.5 rushing yards per game. And if that holds, uh, that'll be the lowest number in the NFL since the 1946 Detroit Lions averaged 42.5. And uh, obviously different, different eras. So if you want to just put this in the Super Bowl era, the, the lowest number – posted by a team was the 2000 Chargers they had 66.4 yards per game that would the Bengals would 9.9 they need to improve by just to climb up to out of last in the Super Bowl era and and as I I, I mentioned earlier you know that they they're dead last in rush offense and rush defense this shocked me um I, I asked our our sport radar research department when was the last time a, a team finished last in both of those categories in a season. And it's actually happened nine times um, since the since the NFL merger in 1970. And the most recent was last year. The Arizona Cardinals did it last year. Uh, but before that, you got to go back to the 1999 Cleveland Browns. So um, there's some it, – it's not – it's not quite 1946 Detroit Lions, but it would be. They would just be the second team in the last 20 years to to finish last in both rush offense and rush defense if things keep going this way. All right, I'm going to ask you this question: How many games in a row would Zach Taylor have to lose for the Bengals to pull the plug? More than 16. Um, I don't. I yeah. don't think. I don't think if they went winless this year, it would happen. Um, I don't know. That's that's a good question. Um, I mean that the story that I wrote uh, last week about coaches, all the famous coaches that have started zero and five, and 
and uh, turn things around. Uh, I think if he did, if he were to go zero and sixteen, that would probably put him second or third on that list. John McKay with the Buccaneers lost twenty six in a row, and that was an expansion franchise, so that was that was a little different. Um, I don't know. Uh, I I would say twenty four if they went zero and sixteen this year, and then and then lost the first half next year. And especially, really, what it would come down to is where is that bye week next week next year? Yeah, because I would, uh, I would agree that that would that's the time to make a coaching change in, in the league. Um, but the the if you do it in season, I mean, who do you turn this? I guess maybe Mark Duffner. I, I don't know who they would who on this staff that they would name an interim if if that were the case if if it got to that complete train wreck. Of a, it would depend on who's on the staff next year. True. I mean, you, yeah. you could have new, you could have some new names or faces around these parts. I, who knows? Um, but I, yeah, I just, and that's a long way off, and there's a lot can change, and you know, you get one win, and suddenly it feels a little bit different, even if it's still awful. Uh, but you know, you do have to start to think that way when you get to this point. And you start to wonder where that win is going to come from, what the leash is, how how long is the leash. And I, I would agree with you. I feel like I, I just too specifically remember talking during the offseason of how taxing and how hard that it, how, you know, exhausting it was to try to do that search and some of the exasperation over the idea that Arizona pulled off of hiring Steve Wilkes and being like, how could you hire a guy and not give him a chance to play out more than one year? You know, how could you do that? And then just go back into the search again. And just the thought that's insane. And we certainly know the patience that exists organizationally. I don't, even at Owen, even if Owen 16 happened, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that they would, they would pull the plug. I mean, I think it would have to be a conversation, uh, but I don't think that they would inevitably would. I do think that there would certainly be an on-notice aspect to next year and and a potential of not finishing a second year if that's what happens, if they don't show some kind of progress over the second half of the season. You know, you, you can, if, if it does feel like they started to put things together a little bit, started to figure things out, um, and, and, you know, you can finish the second half with some kind of momentum, then you can buy yourself the full, you know, uh, some benefit of the doubt. But right now, until you do that, uh, there isn't a whole lot of it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. If, if they if they did, if they were to go 0-16, what would be more damning for Zach if, if they're just getting absolutely blown out um, every game in the second half of the season? Or if they're in position to win games in the fourth quarter and a lot of those losses and, and he's just not getting it done, you know, as, as a play caller, as an in game manager, I don't, I don't know what would be more damning for his future. And I, I can't imagine that it would just play out one way or the other. If, if a team were to go, Oh, and 16, you would, you would probably have a mixture of those type of losses. Yeah. I think, I think the more damning would be a team quitting on you. Right. I mean, if you're if you're getting blown, you start getting blown out because the play the only one reason that you're getting blown out. And that's because the players quit. I mean, the players just stop trying. And, and the one thing though, I will say, I mean, the one thing that Zach Taylor has going for him right now 
is they their team does appear to have not given up and is not quitting. There is a there is quite a bit of fight in dudes. I sort of wrote about Sean Williams. I mean, there's there's a number of guys like that that are they are really busting it to try to break through and and fighting through injury and stuff and. You know, there's some that aren't, <laughs> but I mean, I think that for the most part, you, the guys, you have a lot of guys that are out there that are fighting pretty hard. So he has that going for him right now, but that also can change when you start to get into December and stuff like that. It can, who knows? Um, let's do a little behind the curtain uh, as you try to look for hope. Um, so Darquez Denard could come back this week. Uh, off the PUP and just in time, Draker Patrick looks like he's going to be out for an extended amount of time, a hyperextended knee, I believe was the report that we got uh, on that. So in theory, it comes just at the right time where Denard can step in and uh, kind of take Drake Kirkpatrick's spot. And so I was sort of asking Zach Taylor about it yesterday, and, and he sort of hedged a little bit about them needing to see him out there in practice and Luana Rumo had a had a, a kind of a, a little bit of a different side to it so I just wanted to bring the two opinions and, and what we're hearing about what we might see with Darquez Denard coming back and and playing cornerback so here's Zach Taylor first in the press conference and uh, after that uh, Luana Rumo talking about uh, the potential of kicking the rust off of Denard quickly well, so we, we can start the 21-day window here this yeah. week, and you get a chance to see him in practice and then make that decision. And that's something we'll consider. You know, you want to see him in pads and out there running around, and um, certainly he's a player we anticipated coming back and being ready to play. Now you just got to see it live and in person, and, and then we can make that decision at the end of the week. Do you feel like you can get Denard up and running, a guy who hasn't practiced with you since you've been here? You know, I mean, is that a challenge of just needing to see those reps from him in practice, or where are you at with him? Um, he's a uh, he's a pro. He's been playing ball for a long time. They're they're, uh, you know, it's like I've gotten guys on Wednesday afternoons walking on the field during practice and played on Sunday mm-hmm. from another team. Uh, so I, that's how I view it. I view it as a veteran guy who plays, who's played a ton of football. And like I said, I remember like it was yesterday, the first time I met Dimitri Patterson was in the huddle on a Wednesday afternoon in period three. And he started in the game on Sunday, had made a mental error the first play and played his ass off the rest of it. So um, uh, been down that road before. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll fill his plate with stuff as fast as we can. I mean, talk about like all the injuries you've been mentioning. I mean, it's certainly a guy who can come in with some, some freshness to yeah, him is yeah, welcome. Yeah, great. Yeah, we, we'll take all healthy bottles. So I don't know. If you're judging by Luan Arumo, uh, I, the story about having a guy in the huddle on Wednesday and starting on Sunday kind of makes me uh, feel like he's going to have a guy in the huddle on Wednesday and start be, maybe be starting on Sunday. Especially when, you know, B.W. Webb, your other guy, can't even jam because his hand is broken. You know, it's like you've got Drake or Patrick's out. William Jackson's popping his shoulder in and out of games. Some dude named Tory McTire's playing snaps. Like, I don't care if he, he's been around. You know he can start and play at this level. You need him to play. The idea of taking your time with Darquez Denard at this point is is fairly silly. Um, I get wanting to see him in practice and make sure everything looks good. That's fine, but if if they decide they're oh, they're holding him out, they don't feel like he's ready. What I mean, I it, I don't know. That would be an indictment, in, in my opinion. 
and you go back to the conversation you had with him that we, we used on a behind the curtain early on a pod where, where he he was he felt he was ready to go at the start of the season that, that he was he was a little disappointed they put him on pup so yeah he he feels like he's ready and 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 really you you need him so I, I can't see any way he doesn't play and, and how big of an opportunity is this for him because he's a guy he was a free agent this offseason and he wanted outside corner money instead of slot money and the Bengals weren't willing to give it to him and neither was anybody else and that's one of the reasons he ended up back here after they signed BW Webb so th- this I mean he's on a one-year deal this is a big chance uh, for Dark Darquez Denard to, to get paid this offseason if, if he can step in here and, and play outside corner and, and really show his value at that position you know, I mean he's, he's a former number one pick and and he's he's been kind of I don't want to say pigeonholed because we have seen him outside some but that they've they've settled on him in the slot and there's there's definitely a different pay scale between outside corner and slot corner and this is a real chance I'm not saying that Dark West is all about the money I, I, he's he's going to be playing for the team as much as for himself but this is a chance a really big chance for him to get paid and I don't care what he's playing for. I don't care if the money's what's motivating him. They just need somebody to go out there and play good. <laughs> and they certainly could use somebody that can tackle on the edges. Uh, and and that is he the one thing he does do well. I mean, he he he's probably not as good of a cover corner as William Jackson or even Drake or Patrick. Um, but he is physical. He's able to come up and make stops. He's got a good nose for the football uh, when teams are trying to run stuff on the edges. And we know that that has been what's killed this team uh this year one more behind the curtain for you from uh luana rumo and i sort of and then we can break it down i, I want to bring you i was sort of asking about carl lawson who we saw get his first sack and ex, an extended run but really if for my money he's been one of the most disappointing players of the season um you know here's here's when i asked luana rumo about what he thinks has been going on with carl lawson I, I know Lawson. Uh, he gets his first sack yesterday. I mean, he has head injury. Yeah. Are you surprised that we're t- at this point in the season we're talking about one for me, especially in camp and in preseason, yeah. he looks so good. Well, he's been nicked up, you know. Yeah. I don't think, and in, in, uh, you know, yesterday he kind of had to come out. He's always on the bike, you know. So, um, you know, it is what it is. If you're not 100, percent you know, you're not going to be. You're not going to see some of the things maybe you saw. And again, remember, he's coming off a major knee surgery, so. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those guys aren't right for almost a year, you know, yeah. and I'm hoping knock on wood that it's quicker than that, but sometimes that's the reality. So, I mean, I'll, I'll buy some of the, you know, the guy is, was dinged up and, and had the, the injury issue with the hamstring, I guess. And, um, but he's out there, he's out there healthy now, uh, or at least unhealthy enough to be out there playing. And we just, this is sort of the same thing. Now, last year, he was very disruptive. His sack numbers were low, but he was leading the team in disruptions and, and pressures. We're not seeing that this year. I mean, he's get, been getting opportunities, and he just has not been getting back there. It's really odd. You know, you wonder how much of this is ACL-related, how much of this is hamstring-related, because the guy that we saw in camp and in the preseason, the guy that tossed Nate Solder a couple times, the guy that tossed Cordy Glenn about eight yards. I mean, we just haven't seen that guy. And, and I, I found it interesting. And they just never needed him more because they can't get enough pass rush. You know, how much of this is health related and how much of this is, uh, you know, 
for some reason, maybe he's just not able to get it done enough in games. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like Lou said, Lou's not wrong about it's usually the second year back after an ACL that, that guys are really back to themselves. But in this case, I, you're right. Carl looks so dominant in the preseason and in, in the training camp that it it's hard to believe that the knee is the issue. I think it, and he and I talked to Carl after the game um, Sunday, and, and he said he's not 100 percent yet with the hamstring. Uh, but you're right, he's out there, he's playing. I, if we're if we're going to question which it is, I think it's the hamstring that's holding him back a little bit, and I also think it's it's the quarterbacks they faced the last two weeks because a lot of that was on a lot of the the ability for Lamar Jackson and, and Kyler Murray to leak out was on Carl because he does fly off of that edge so fast and that that it he doesn't maintain that that rush lane and that that, that lets he, if he gets too far upfield behind the quarterback that lets him leak out it's going to be interesting to see these next two weeks because Gardner Minshew and Jared Goff aren't going to be that kind of threat they're, they're going to be more of the the and they're not going to get the ball out quite as quick as those other guys did when they did pass. Um, I think that's going to be a real test to see where Carl Lawson is, is if he can get back to where he was last year when he was causing all those pressures. And I think he's going to have a chance to do it against those, these next two quarterbacks. Do we, do we know? I haven't, uh, I have not totally looked it up. Do we know, is Cedric Abwehi playing for the Jaguars? He is their backup, um, but I, I I don't know if he's gotten any snaps. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of I mean that, that that you would figure that would be a big storyline this week coming up, but I I don't think he's playing very much. Um, yeah, they got he, him. He played he played six snaps last week in their game at tackle, so I don't know if they had an injury or whatever. But it could um, even be like a six man line. They we yeah. saw the the Bengals do that with him his rookie year. Yeah. So well. So so no. I because I, I would like. I think it would. That is one thing that maybe maybe Bengals fans could could get some enjoyment out of. But but then then he'd have to go up against Andrew Whitworth. So it's sort of like the ghost of Bengals tackle past are both going to be here the next two weeks. All that. Well, yeah, not here, but yeah, that that's a good point. You think about that. They see. I mean, everybody remembered Whitworth and seeing him in London, and I think he's kind of slowed down too. He you know he was. He kind of tore the the league up with how good he was playing as an old guy, as a cast-off guy his first couple years, and I think he's backslid a little bit this year. I think you're starting to see some of the age. But, yeah, yeah I completely a little bit. forgot. I completely forgot about Cedric Oboehe. Uh, <laughs> still grinding. Still yeah, grinding down still there. Still cashing checks. Cat, dude, he's cashing checks and enjoying life. Uh all right, let's uh, now that we've gone behind the curtain, let's hop in. Let's go to our uh, offensive brute of the week. Who you got, Jay? Uh, yeah, I, I, you have to go Auden Tate. Uh, career high, ninety-one yards. Um, made some really spectacular catches. Um, and as good as he played, who else are you going to pick? I mean, there was nobody else on that offense that that did anything uh, that would even merit consideration um I, Auden was was really impressive uh, I, I don't want to compare him to Chad Johnson talent wise obviously but some of those catches he makes it almost seemed like sometimes Chad made those like layout catches just to make him look good I don't think that's what Auden Tate is doing but we're seeing him do that where he's he's just extending his body and making these ridiculous catches and uh, we all know how good his hands are and how good his catch radius is 
um, it's it's been pretty fun to watch him him develop in, in that regard. I have a question, and I'm I am going to ask Andy Dalton this this week and report back uh, on on the Growler uh, on Thursday. Andy, for all that he is, is very pretty accurate. Anybody else you see him throw to, you know, the ball typically ends up in the right spot. Why does it seem like every time he throws to Auden Tate, it's like just barely at the edge of his catch area? It makes me wonder, like, is Auden Tate not run routes consistently? Or does Andy just like to throw to the edges of that catch radius because that's where his game is? And it's like, okay, well, he's a contested catch guy. He's got the radius. I mean, is this might sound weird, but when Auden Tate makes these wild, super extended catches, is Andy actually putting it right on the button? Because we know, or is is, is it just something where he just can't throw to this guy accurately? I, because all of the all five catches. Now, granted, the back shoulder throws that you saw, the back to back plays, uh, I believe, both of them against Kennedy. Where they just they, those look to be exactly where you would want to put it there, but still it causes Auden to make that full extension. But some of the other ones, and that goes back years. I mean, I remember that when he would play in the preseason, you would see guys and see every catch he was making was some sort of crazy acrobatic thing, and so it just makes you wonder if you're like, okay, if a guy's slow, if a guy doesn't get out of his breaks fast, if a guy is draped a bit, but he's got the catch radius, you throw to the edges of that. Is that what's happening here? And is that why all his catches look like that? Or I'm just really – it's kind of fascinating because I just don't think I've ever watched a guy where every single one he makes is like some sort of dive or jump or full extension. And it's kind of been like that, you know, for the most part uh, for a while. I've got two theories on that. One is what you said about, you know, Auden's a little bit slower out of his break. He doesn't, he doesn't run as fast as most wide receivers. It's interesting when – we were kind of watching before the game. You know, we get to the stadium three hours before the game, and a lot of times uh, Ryan Finley and Jake Dolagallo will be out there throwing passes, getting in a, a little bit of work. And usually who they're throwing to in that situation are, are assistant coaches. And I, I noticed that when, when those guys would kind of run deeper routes, the, the, first through, the first couple throws are always way overthrown because I think they're adjusting to – you know, an assistant coach's speed as opposed to an NFL athlete's speed. So I do think there's something to that where just the way Auden goes about his routes, it makes it hard for Andy to, to time him up. And then the other question, I, I wonder, Andy is getting hit so much, and I, I, that has to speed up the clock in your head. And it also, I wonder, Dave Lapham kind of brought this point up, the, the Bengals color analyst, is when you're getting hit that much and, and not having the time to throw, sometimes your mechanics suffer. And, and maybe it's it's part of that is that Andy's mechanics are, are a little bit off. But like you said, it's not like we're not seeing this with other receivers. It's just with Auden Tate. So I'm not sure how much of it is that end. But uh, it will be interesting to, to hear. I don't know if that's something that uh, – you know, whenever Andy's on the podium, it's it, there's a lot of cliche answers. It would be good to get him off the side and 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 kind of get him his perspective on that on on what's going on with that connection with Auden Tate. Um, for for the Bengals' sake, uh, you hope it gets a little bit better. Um, but for for spectators' uh, sake, it, it it's fun to watch Auden Tate do his inspector gadget 
uh, catches. I mean, it, it's just amazing some of these balls he pulls in. Well, I think that's kind of who he is. I mean, it's it's just that's the way his catches have to look because that's his that's his plus skill. You know, yeah. I mean, his plus skill is to be able to do that. It certainly isn't getting in and out. It certainly isn't speed. So it, it, I think that is kind of part of how you have to approach his game a little bit. What I, I actually think he's so dangerous is what we saw on the deep ball. I think that's where you need because his ability to jump up over top of people. And, you know, you get enough space, even if you're not super fast, you can get enough space to open up and uh, and go get some. And then his ability to adjust to a, to any deep ball and where it comes in and get so high. I don't know. Our, our guy Sam Green at the Inquirer had a, a great photo of Auden Tate's catch on that play. He's so high up in the air. And then you add the length that he has at 6'5", 220, whatever. I mean – that is an insane skill to have if you, when you're trying to throw the ball down the field. You know, I think that's something that you need to see maybe more of in his game, and I think they're starting to see it a little bit and maybe exploit it, which is interesting. You know, when A.J. Green does come back, whenever that may be, maybe it will be this week. Got the we'll see on that. It was like a Marvin flashback. I was waiting for Zach to drop a partly cloudy on me after that. Uh, but <laughs> we got – so maybe A.J. Green comes back this week. Maybe it's in London. But when he does, you know, well, obviously with John Ross out, I, I would think you're going to see Auden Tate and A.J. Green on the edges and Tyler Boyd work in the slot. I got no problem with that. I mean, I think, I think Auden Tate has been maybe the brightest light of this season and, and one that hasn't had many bright lights. It, it, the, going back to, like, the connection with him and Andy, there was, there was a play. You talk about how good Auden is at, at going up and getting that ball. There, there was a play they were down in the red zone, and they were on a fade. And, like, Andy whistled a bullet over his head instead of, you know, kind of lobbing it up there and letting Auden out-jump the, the guy. And it, it just seems like there's something off between those two. I don't know. Uh, maybe that would be a good question for Andy, too, what happened on that play. Because it certainly it did not look like your typical fade pass. It almost looked like he was just firing it to, to get rid of it. He, he, he Like I said, he whistled it over his head. Um, it was really kind of a curious – and it was early. It, it wasn't like it was a – uh, I think it was the, actually even first down where he knew he had yeah. more more plays to try to get it, but it was it was an odd looking fade. Yeah, it, it was like made you think it was a half throw away. You know what yeah. I mean? But I don't know why you would do that because you had him one on one. But anyway, yeah, I, you're right. I don't think uh, nicest guy in the world on the podium is going to be throwing Auden Tate under the bus for any <laughs> routes run incorrectly. <laughs> but I think on I think on the side, you know, dissecting sort of play by play and and sort of some of the the differences in trying to throw to Auden Tate is an interesting conversation. Maybe coming your way on the athletic. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's we we did uh, we did a run passer boot earlier, uh, so I can go. Jay, do you do you have a run passer boot for me? I, I have one for you. Um, it's uh, we're, we're getting close. We're about halfway through October, so it's time to start thinking about Halloween and scary movies. So I'm not sure if you're a, a scary movie guy, but the kind of the the ones that started the whole uh, series of scary movies. W- w- which of these? Well, run past your boot. Favorite scary movie series: Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. Or Friday the 13th. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say to that. I am going to boot Halloween. 
I'm going to boot Nightmare. I'm going to boot Friday the 13th. <laughs> because scary movies are dumb. They're stupid. I spend most of my life trying to avoid being scared. Why would I pay money and purposely dedicate times to doing that? I, I don't like murder. I'm a pacifist. Like, I don't, I'm not really into any of that world. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to, like, walk my dog at night and wonder if some dude in a mask is lurking around. Like, I don't want any of that. And I honestly, hey, kudos to those people that have made money in that genre that exists. I get that it's a thing. I will never understand it. I don't have any clue why people are into scary, murderous death movies. Like, it makes no sense to me. But, hey, more power to you if you're into that world. I just think it's totally absurd, and I want nothing to do with it. I saw Scream scream in the theater. I saw Scream in the theater because I was trying to like, you know, I liked a girl and like when I was in like high school, right? And regretted it. I wanted to tell her I have no, I couldn't have less interest in you anymore after this. Like, this is so, so dumb. I read see I I'm the same. I'm right there with you now. I I have no interest um I I never took my kids to a haunted house. Um I don't watch those movies anymore, but in my younger years, I did. I I read the book Halloween, and it scared the ever-living crap out of me, and I still watched the movie, um, and I loved it. It's still one of my favorite movies, but I I didn't get into the Halloween 2, Halloween 3D, all those. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street I kind of enjoyed because it was they injected some humor into it, but it got repetitive, and I never was a Friday the 13th. I watched the first one. I never watched any of the other ones. Um, So, yeah, in my younger years, I did kind of like that getting scared but no no interest in it whatsoever now especially not paying money to have it happen yeah no no absolutely not i'm i'm gonna stand on my rant and feel (laughs) free feel free to cut that and put that out as the promo for this episode chris we we can go ahead and do that uh no i will say this i instead of a run pass or boot for you i just have a story that i was in it, it builds off of last week uh, we were in the airport uh, at BWI flying back home, and we all kind of, uh, as we all went through our different TSA checks or whatever, uh, we all were coming in differently, and but we were all on the same Southwest flight. And there's a right by our gate, there was sort of a, a food court, and there's you know Chick Fil A, McDonald's, all your standards, and I see an Arby's, and I'm like, oh man, if I if Jay could go over there and be getting Arby's. I would just totally take a picture of it and, and tweet it out for all our podcast people after last week's incident of finding out your love of Arby's and uh, everything else. And so we sit down and we finally do get to the gate. And I'm like, Jay, I, I really – did you see that Arby's? I really wanted to get a picture of you. You're like, I really did want to go to Arby's. They have really good breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> I'm like, I knew it. I knew you would want to go to that Arby's. If it was a longer flight, I would have, but I knew it was a short flight. I was I would be able to just grab some food on the way to the stadium once we landed in Cincinnati. I saw it too. Not only it would have been my first choice if the line was equally as long everywhere, but like Chick-fil-A had this giant long and Arby's had one guy in line, which maybe says something about Arby's. It but does. I, I was I was all set to get a bacon, egg, and cheese breakfast in a bun. They've got the croissant sandwiches there are good, but I like the regular Arby's bun with bacon egg and cheese on it and it's I, I used to when my kids were um in nursery school there was an arby's right by the 
uh, YMCA where they went to nursery school, and that was my morning routine. Drop them off at nursery school and then swing through Arby's and get a get a bacon, egg, and cheese breakfast in a bun pretty much every morning. <laughs> every day Arby's, man. We're going to be at the point where, you, you know, you're going to secure us an Arby's sponsorship, I think. Hey, that that works. Arby's no, it doesn't. Fifty West. <laughs> <laughs> no, at least we're all in agreement that Fifty West is delicious, right? I mean, we we, we all can say that. Uh, which which reminds me, uh, I, I, we talked about it the last podcast. The Home Sweet Home is out. It's the best fall beer out there. It's delicious. Uh, it tastes like sweet potato pie in a beer. Uh, it is so good. They've got it down at the Pro Works right now. You can go down there. They'll have it if you go down for the Brewing Queue, which is November 2nd, their joint venture with Great Lakes Brewing Company. Make sure you get down. Check it out down there. We will be checking in with Optimistic Bobby very soon because we're almost we're getting close to the point where he turns his eyes to the next season once they get their eighth loss. So uh, we'll be checking in with him as, as that comes uh, nearer. Uh, anything? Uh, you are you hunting any free concert tickets right now, Jay? Uh, I am. I'm, I'm hoping to get to see Chevelle <laughs> des- December 14th at Bogarts. We we saw Chevelle open for uh, Breaking Benjamin at Riverbend, and and they were really good on the big stage. I, I think they would be pretty awesome in a in a small venue like Bogarts. Um, going back to Optimistic Bobby, we talked about how long it would take for the Bengals to fire Zach Taylor. How long? would it take for optimistic Bobby to sour and, and for some pessimism to creep in? Optimistic Bobby doesn't have pessimism. He just moves on to the next season. Like he, there, he, he is, I, I've talked to him in some of the darkest possible moments where you think there's no way there's any optimism. And he's always, he's always got something. He's, he, he'll just move on. You know what? I bet you, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get him on here in the next couple episodes right now. I bet you he is loving watching Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow and some of these quarterbacks in college and starting to get excited about the possibility of having. I, I, I bet you that's where he's starting to move on to. Well, how about how about a optimistic Bobby Jay's got stats? The last time the Bengals started zero and six, it was 2008, and they they actually I believe went a little bit further than that. I think they lost their first eight that year. And uh, they ended it with a win against the Jacksonville Dra- Jaguars at Paul Brown Stadium. So there's some symmetry. They they can end this 0-6 start Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the next year swept the AFC North and won the division. So yeah. there's no doubt that's what happens next. History repeats itself. His, there's no <laughs> I see no other possible scenario. Uh, all right. I, I, I was going to comment on Chevelle. Oh they, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear that. Do you do you even know any Chevelle songs? No, I just had to look up a picture of them. They seem to uh, they seem to really like black leather jackets and angst ridden faces. Judging by yeah. every single photo of them everywhere, like do they have they ever smiled on stage, or is that not really their thing? Are they more no, just they're they, angsty? They do. They smile on stage. My wife was a little disappointed in them because they're not super showmen. They kind of stand there and just play their their instruments. But um, two things about Chevelle: that the first time we ever saw him was at the very first Rock on the Range, and and I I already liked him, but they really impressed me because the night before their equipment trunk was truck was stolen, they lost all of their equipment, all their guitars, all their amps, everything, drums, and and they still borrowed another band's 
equipment and, and came out and put on a pretty good show that day. And the other thing is Chevelle. My favorite Chevelle song is something that I think Bengal fans can embrace. It's called Send the Pain Below. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Anything that involves pain. I feel like most of the music you listen to, Bengals fans can embrace because it's usually pretty angry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. Um, <laughs> it, it was funny, but the uh, the uh, on the plane on the way back, there was a a screaming baby. I'm not sure where you were sitting. We were all on the same flight back from Baltimore. I'm not sure how close you were to the baby. So I I pulled out the noise canceling headphones, and that didn't quite do it. So I, I put on some music, and the first song that came on was a Tesla song, and the first line of the song is "Took a shot to the chin," and I was like, "Yep, that's." That's the perfect way to sum up the way that that, that game against Baltimore went. <laughs> All I ask is one thing. If you have end, end up going to this Chevelle concert, if you can find one of them in something that is not dark, bra- black, brown, or some sort of like deep maroon, which apparently is all they have in their I want a Chevelle pastel. That's what I want. I want what to if see. Dolega, what, what if the lead singer comes out in a Jake Dolagala jersey? That's that's black and orange. Would that count as not black? <laughs> I, I I am willing to bet whatever you want to bet that they will not come out in a Jake Dolagala jersey. No, probably not. I'm not I'm I not hope sure so. Where Chevelle is from, but yeah. Uh, yeah that, <laughs> <laughs> if they do, I mean, you name. I will. I will do. I, I don't know what I. Literally, you could say anything right now, and I'm on board with it. If they come out with in a Jake Dolgal jersey, uh, so we'll get, so we'll all keep an eye on your Chevelle tickets, Jay. Really looking forward to that. Uh, two months to go. Two, <laughs> <laughs> all right, sounds good. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We will be back uh, on Thursday with the bonus episode uh, where we will be Jay as the loser again, again, loser of the Growler bet. Owen six uh, will be talking to our guy down in Jacksonville about the Jaguars. I will have Joe Goodberry with film review. We'll give our predictions uh, more inside the locker room. We'll definitely be having a lot more about what's going on uh, with injuries as a lot of guys are trying to work their way back, including AJ green. Uh, so keep an eye on all that. We'll talk that is behind the athletic paywall. So uh, if you're a subscriber, we will look forward to talking to you in a couple of days. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe. And then we'll talk to you in a couple days. Uh, it's going to be good stuff. And we're here to keep you in, 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 you know, sane, keep you from kicking your neighbor's dogs or your own dogs. We're here for therapy. Uh, so if you, you maybe a subscription would, would actually be saving you money uh, from the lawsuit that you would have if you were hurting your neighbor's pets. Leave Think the about strays it. alone, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, now you're, now you're the good guy, Jay. We know, we know where your stance lies on this. The true fans know. All right, we'll talk to you next time on Hear the Podcast Ground.